There are 20 students that come from about nine or 10 countries. So they're going to be doing a three months training and then going off to Kenya and possibly Uganda to do ministry. Uh, why are they here today? Well, they need to be worshiping in a local church uh, on, a, on a Sunday. And of course, Graham and Di from Wharton, who started Media Village, have been a part of our church family for years and years and years. This really is an awesome ministry, Michael, and I've forgotten your wife's name, but you're leading this team. So please, would you all stand? We, those of you that are on this course, we just want to commit you to the Lord that this will be uh, some of the best six months of your lives. So what a great opportunity we have. Let's, uh, let's pray for this group of, of people. Lord, thank you for each person here in this discipleship training school with YRAM and Media Village. And we, we just want to pray, Lord, that they would have soft and open hearts that, Lord, this would be a life-transforming few months for them. Lord, open their eyes and their minds to things that they've never heard or seen before. We pray for those teaching this course, that uh, they would be led of you, Lord. We pray for good relationships amongst this group of people. We pray that the love of, of Christ would be evident in their lives. We pray, Lord, that you would equip them with amazing skills and uh, that you would empower them, Lord, to go out and serve you for the rest of their lives. Thank you for this time of dedication and consecration, and we commit them to you, Lord, excited about how you're going to use each one. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I am going to preach now, and then we'll do the notices at the end of, of our service. So uh, let me bring up my PowerPoint. We do need to take up an offering because uh, we love to give to God's work. So as we, as we listen to the sermon, the bags can just go by. Thank you. Yeah, we're in our series, uh, Great Stories of Faith. The story that I'm going to share with you today is set in 1440 B.C. So that was a, a long, long time ago, wasn't it? God has just brought his people out of Egypt. They've just had the showdown with the Egyptian army. They've had the ten plagues where God wrought havoc on the gods of the Egyptians. And the people have now come out of Egypt. They're finally free. They're kind of in no man's land. And God is going to lead them into the promised land. And there's a wonderful story that we're going to read that's got a lot to teach us about how the Lord works in our lives. So here we go. Numbers chapter 13. The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan which I'm giving to the Israelites. From each tribe, send one of its leaders. So this is really the outworking of God's promise to Abraham. He said, I'm going to make you a, a great nation, and I'm going to give you a land, a prosperous, wonderful land. So this is all about to happen. So before they go and take the land by force, they need to send out some spies to check it out. When Moses sent them out to explore Canaan, he said, go up and go into the hill country, have a good look around. See what the land is like. 
whether the people there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land is it, good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they walled or fortified cities? What's the soil like? Is it fertile? Is it poor? Are there trees? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. So they went up and explored the land. That's the mission that they were given. And we know that they uh, picked uh, a huge bunch of grapes. It was obviously a good example of how fertile the land was. It was such a big bunch of grapes, they needed to carry it on a pole. Okay, I mean, that tells you how big it is. How many of you have ever bought grapes at a shop and needed two people on a pole to carry it? Okay, unheard of, um, but that's what happened. Because the land was a great land, flowing with milk and honey. See what the land is like. So this is the mission that the scouts are given when they go on their reconnaissance trip. They're to find out how many people are there. What are the cities like? What are the fortifications like? I can imagine these 12 spies splitting up and going to different parts of Canaan. Because if they're all hanging around together, it might have been a little bit obvious what they were doing. So they split up. But then they, they have a great look around. And as I said, they... they pick up their grapes. I can imagine them discussing on the way back, what are we going to tell God's people when we get back? Well, we're about to find out. Verse 26, they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community. There they reported to them and the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us. It does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But, but the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. This was a people group who were genetically just pretty huge and frightening. The Amalekites lived in the Negev, the Hittites and the people were there. We, we went and we scouted the land. It, land. it does flow with milk and honey. So this is what the first group of people have to say. They say the land is good. It is a good land. But there are all these challenges, all these obstacles. And they talk about the Anak, this people group that they find very intimidating. And they tend to, to sway the crowd. Then we read in verse 30, Then Caleb silenced the people and said, No, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. I wonder why Caleb sees things differently. Because they all saw the same wall cities. They all heard about the Anak people. They all saw the vast numbers of people living there. But Caleb has a different attitude. It reminds me of what I shared last week with you. When Saul and the soldiers saw Goliath, they saw a giant. When David saw Goliath, he saw an uncircumcised Philistine. They saw things very differently. So 10 out of the 12 spies are very negative. All they can see is all the reasons why they cannot possibly do 
what God's told them to do. But Caleb has a different spirit. He says, we can do it. Yes, we can. Now the pessimists, the naysayers, need to double down on what they've said previously. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack these people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They stir up everyone who's willing to listen and to get them to believe their opinion. On they go, reiterating their viewpoint and expanding it. They said, the land we explore devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. Previously, they'd said the land is good. Now, when they're really getting serious, they say, no, the land, it devours people. Do you see how things have changed in the course of the debate? They describe the land as devouring people. Just take a moment to think what this has to say about their attitude to God. Because this is the land that God is giving to the Israelites. And their take is, no, this is a land that devours people. This is looking at a gift horse in the mouth. You know where that saying comes from? It's from someone gives you a horse but you don't gratefully receive it from them. You open the horse's mouth, you don't like this horse, well, no thank you. So that's effectively what the Israelites are doing here. God's saying, I'm giving you a great land. They're like, no, it's a terrible land. It devours people. The land we explored, we saw the Nephilim there. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. Again, they're worrying about the Nephilim, which is a sermon in itself. But this thing, we're just grasshoppers, tells you a lot about their self-image. They're, they're still thinking like slaves. They've been set free from slavery, redeemed by God, but they still think of themselves as weak, powerless, passive, as grasshoppers about to be stomped on. They don't see themselves as God's rescued people, about to be given a beautiful gift by God. We're just grasshoppers. That night, all of the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. This is not a weeping aloud over sin. This is a weeping aloud because they are so sorry for themselves. You see that? <laughs> What's going to happen to us now? This is terrible. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said, if only we died in Egypt or in this desert. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? 
Wow. Ten plagues rescued by God, gone through the Red Sea. Now we want to go back to Egypt. And their next brilliant idea is to stone Moses and Aaron. Yeah. To stone them, kill them, pick a new leader and head back to slavery. Moses and Aaron fall face down. I think somewhere it says they tear their clothes. Yeah, verse 6. Joshua and Caleb, they'd been to explore. They, They tore their clothes. That's what Hebrew people would do at a funeral. When you're in great anguish and despair, and, and, and you want everybody to know how terrible you're feeling, you'd rip your clothes. That's what they do here. And Caleb and Joshua stand up and say, the land we pass through is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into the land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone. The Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Yeah, Moses, thanks for all you've done. We're done with you. Caleb has God's perspective on the whole situation. And he also takes it up. They're not going to swallow us. We're going to swallow them. Their protection is gone. The Lord is with us. We come now to how God responds to this situation. And this word gets really interesting. Remember, Moses and Aaron are face down, crisis mode. This is terrible stuff. People want to stone us. They, they want to go back to, to, to Egypt and say, sorry, Pharaoh, that we escaped. We're here to be your loyal servants once again. Feel free to whip us and work us. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. Okay. The Lord appears now and speaks to Moses. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people, you know whenever you refer to people as these people, that's never a good sign of what's coming. How long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the miraculous signs I've performed among them? I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them, and I will make you into a great nation, stronger than they. The question is, how long will this people treat me, says the Lord, with contempt? Because when the Lord wants to give you a beautiful land, and when he's rescued you, and he says, I'm going to be with you, 
and all you can see is the problems and say, thank you for this, but no thanks. It, it's an offense to God personally. God's response is, I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them all. And you, Moses, I'm going to make a new nation out of you. Stall the fulfillment of Abraham's promise. Kill all this lot, new nation out of you. Some leaders might have jumped to that opportunity. Wow. We'd be talking about Moses, not Israel. But Moses says to the Lord, Lord, it's not a good plan. What's everybody going to think of you, Lord? You can't rescue these people out of, out of slavery in Egypt, and then we kind of halfway to the promised land, and you just kill them all. What are people going to say? This is bad PR. Not even Bell Pottinger could have messed this one up as badly. So Moses entreats the Lord, but if you put all these people to death all at one time, the nations who've heard this report will say, well, the Lord wasn't able to do what he set out to do. And Moses goes on to remind God of his character. But Lord, you, you, you're slow to anger. You're abounding in love and forgiving sin and rebellious. So, so Moses understands God's character, that God is gracious, that God is loving, that he is slow to anger. And I'm sure God said to Moses, thank you, Moses, for reminding me of my character. I've briefly forgotten that. But prayer does work, which is why we've just had a week of prayer. Now God says, I have forgiven them, as you have asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live, as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of the men who saw my glory and the miraculous signs I performed in Egypt in the desert, who have disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land that I promised on oath to their forefathers. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. Some of you are probably thinking, wow, that's a bit harsh. Doesn't God know they're all suffering from PTSD after the Egyptian army nearly killed them? Doesn't God know they've been slaves for, for, for years and they think like slaves and you, know, you can't expect too much of them, Lord? Doesn't God know that they're frail and they're scared of the thorns and the scorpions and they kind of liked it back there in Israel, I mean Egypt? No, the Lord says, I've forgiven them. But I swear an oath today, as certainly as I live, not one of these people that's treated me with contempt will ever go into the promised land. What's the lesson here? It's a profound lesson. It is a hard lesson, and some of you aren't going to like it. Sometimes when we sin and make mistakes and mess up, 
God forgives our sins. But the consequences of those sins remain with us forever. God didn't even say after 30 years in the wilderness, all right, maybe 40 years waiting was a little tough. Let's make it 30 years. Didn't do that. He said, not one of you who've shown me contempt will ever enter the promised land. You're forgiven, yes. Yeah, sure, you're forgiven. But the consequence of your actions is that you will never now have what I had prepared for you. There's a big difference between forgiveness and living with the consequences of our sins. Even when Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden, God didn't say, okay, well, I'll give you another chance. Everybody back to Eden, you wind the clock. No, it's out of the garden. The world is cursed for thousands of years, and here we are today. There are thorns and thistles and decay in our body, and childbirth is painful. We live under the judgment of God. God, we're forgiven, yes, but there are always consequences to our sins. And some people just don't get that today. I often use the example of robbing a bank. Not that I've ever robbed a bank or of planning to. But I can't rob a bank and then say I'm sorry and ask for forgiveness. I also have to give the money back and probably go to jail. Forgiveness and consequences of our actions are two very different things. But God is also fair because there were two people there that didn't deserve that judgment, but they still suffered for 40 years, Joshua and Caleb. Moses goes on, verse 24, but because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land. But in this desert, your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years old or more, who grumbled against me. Ever grumbled against God? Well, nobody. (laughs) Not a good idea. Because when we grumble against God, we're doubting His his sovereignty, His love for us, His plan for our lives, what He's doing in our lives. Don't grumble against God. Some people ask today, can God really harm people? Well, in this situation... He strikes a whole lot of them down with a plague. Verse 37, the men responsible for spreading the bad report about the land were struck down and died of a plague before the Lord. It's not that they just randomly got sick and everyone could see, well, maybe that was God or not. No, this was God zapping them and killing them, harming them. 
Of the men who went to explore the land, only Joshua and Caleb survived. When Moses reported this to the Israelites, they all mourned bitterly. They're really just feeling sorry for themselves. Oh, we've blown it. Now we're not going to get to go into the land. That was the whole point of leaving Egypt. Now what's going to happen to us? But they sleep on it, and in the morning they have a plan. Early the next morning they went up to the high hill country. We have sinned, they said. We will go up to the place the Lord has promised. Moses says, why are you disobeying the Lord's command? This will not succeed. Don't go up because the Lord is not with you. You will be defeated by your enemies. Verse 44, nevertheless, in their presumption, they went up towards the hill country. Ever had a situation like that with God? God tells you to do something and you mess it up. And then God says, okay, that's it. That, that was your shot at it. You can't wake up the next morning and say, okay, well, God wanted me to do that yesterday, but I messed up, so now I'm going to do it today anyway. That's the lesson here. In their presumption, they think in their own strength, they're now going to go and possess the land. It doesn't work like that. Something switched with God. As I wrap up, I have a few lessons from this passage. You may have picked them up already, particularly this one, because it was last week's sermon, hey? I just used a different story. It was about how David <laughs> saw things. Now it's about how all of God's people are seeing things. How do we view the world around us and the challenges we are facing? Yes, the cities were fortified. Yes, there were large armies to defeat. There was a tribe of really big people, the Anak. But people of faith don't focus on all the things that could go wrong. They focus on God and what God has said and the promises of God. And we've been singing about how they're all yes and amen. The good guys in the story concentrated on the fact that they were God's people, that God's favor was on them, and they could do what God was calling them to do. You see, we can either embrace what God is giving us with all of its challenges... Or we can kill Moses and go back to Egypt and be slaves again. And that was what they wanted to do. My second point is this. What we focus on and speak about affects us and the people around us. This is a real South African issue right now, isn't it? As we spy out the land. Ten of the twelve spies were fixated on all the problems. Only two of them had, had a faith perspective that God was going to do something great and they were going to be part of it. Often the default position of people is to be negative, critical, despondent, fearful. But God wants us spreading the love, not fear. To be encouraging faith in one another, not gloom and doom. And so we need to be careful about whose voice we're listening to. 
Because those that listened to the wrong voice resulted in showing contempt for God. Fourth point, doubting God's goodness and God's promises can have severe consequences. Severe consequences. One of the consequences was that God wanted to wipe out that entire people group. Start again with Moses. That didn't happen. But one of the consequences was a lot of people died by the plague. And a whole generation of people missed out for 40 years on what God wanted to give them. Imagine going through 40 years of your life not receiving from God what he wanted to give you because of your own disobedience. I've already shared this, but God may forgive our sins, but the consequences remain. The Lord replies, I have forgiven them, verse 20. Nevertheless, this is now the consequence of what they've said and done. Not one of them will ever see the land. I have to include this scripture from 1 Corinthians 10 because it makes very clear that the lessons we learn from the people in the wilderness were recorded to teach us as New Testament believers a thing or two. You see that there? Verse 5 of 1 Corinthians 10. God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us, New Testament Christians, from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. It's an evil thing to deny, to doubt the goodness of God. It is an evil thing to say to the Lord, thanks but no thanks. These things have been recorded for us to teach us lessons. It's not often a passage of Scripture is repeated. There it is again in verse 11. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us as New Testament Christians on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. And finally, trying harder can't make up for disobedience. There's like a timing with God. And if you miss that, if you're disobedient, you can mess it up forever. As usual, I like to end my sermons on a positive note. I realize the sword of the Spirit cuts both ways. Sometimes it's, ah, and then other times it's, yeah. I want you to fast forward with me 45 years, 45 years. Anybody reach the ripe old age of 45? Okay, wow, brilliant. And you're sitting upstairs, I love it. That's good. Here's Caleb. Another book of the Bible, Joshua chapter 14. I was 40 years old when Moses sent me to be a spy. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. 
But my brothers that went up with me made the hearts of the people melt with fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me the land I went to look at and investigate will be my inheritance. So here I am today, 85 years old, and I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me the hill country. You know what's significant about the hill country? That's where you don't want to fight. You know, there are people chucking stuff at you from high up. There are people springing out and killing you from behind rocks. Hill country, not a good place to fight. Plus, that's where the Anakites lived. Here we've got an 85-year-old saying, give me the toughest assignment you guys have got. In fact, he's not even saying, give it to me. He's saying, don't stand in my way. My challenge to the folks at the 8 o'clock service this morning was, when you've been walking with God the longest, that's when you should be doing the toughest things for God. This thing of sitting back and retirement and doing next to nothing except play the odd game of golf and bridge and visit restaurants, it's not what God has in mind for us. That freedom you have, not to have to sit in an office from 8 to 5 or whatever you do. Think how free you are to be able to do great things for God. Let this be a challenge to you. And don't be some of those old people. I don't want to use the term them, those people, that say it's time for the younger people to start doing. No, 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 no. If you're 85, I hope you're, you're on it, you're on mission with God, and you're as vigorous as you were when you were 40. But let's leave it right there. Let's pray. <laughs> Lord, we are told these stories, these accounts were written, written down for our benefit as New Testament Christians. Because, Lord, they reveal how you work. They reveal your character. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. Help us not to grumble. Help us not to doubt your goodness, Lord. Help us not to speak ill of things and what you're doing. Help us not to fixate on what is negative and bad and to spread our fears and negativity among other people. Lord, we want to be like Caleb and follow you wholeheartedly. According to our ability, we want to be saying, Lord, give us the toughest assignments that you have. Help us to have the faith to embrace that. And help us to realize, Lord, that you're a good God, abounding in loving kindness, slow to become angry, 
but a holy God who forgives, but who usually chooses not to undo the consequences that we bring upon ourselves. Help us to fear you, Lord, for we know that fearing you is the beginning of wisdom. And all God's people said, Amen. We're going to go straight to communion. Al, maybe.